This is Heather Fleming, founder and director of InPurpose Educational Services. And this is Delaney Ray, the assistant director of InPurpose Educational Services. And welcome to the Listen, Learn, Love podcast, where comfortable friends engage in sometimes uncomfortable conversations. So put your shame on the shelf. There is no room for shame here. And let's get ready to listen, learn, and love. So this is Delaney Ray, and I have something different for you today. Not only is Heather not here today, I do have a guest, and it is not a member of our team. It is somebody that I am so excited to introduce and to interview as a part of our podcast. We do like to focus on issues of equity and oppression and diversity. And so today we're going to dive in a different direction and really bring this conversation into the LGBTQ community, which we've talked about before, but we've decided we really want to give a lot more attention to. And so I'm so excited to introduce one of my best friends for close to two decades now, and I will let her actually introduce herself to you guys. Hi there. My name's Laura. And as Delaney said, we've been friends for a really long time. And I have two kiddos that are part of the LGBTQ AI plus community. And um, the one we'll be discussing today mostly is my youngest, Rainier, who is 17 and is a trans male. And he's wonderful. He is. He's very compassionate and creative and funny, and I'm so excited to be here. I am so excited for us to discuss this journey because I think there are so many misunderstandings around what it means to be transgender and what it's like for individuals and for families. And I just want to give you the opportunity to give your firsthand experience and to kind of maybe shed some light on some of these myths and and what in in other people's minds they may be thinking. So let's just get going. Here's here's honestly my first question. Was this just a shocking traumatic event for your family? Was there just this moment of what how did this evolve? Yeah, so this wasn't this was an evolution. So Rainier came out um, as gay, and we said, "Okay, this is something that honestly, my husband and I were kind of waiting for this announcement." Actually, when our older daughter announced it to us and kind of let us know um, who she was and this part of her, we were like, "Oh, okay, that's cool." Frankly, we thought it'd be Rainier, and so then when Rainier. Uh, let us know that he had discovered this about himself. We were like, okay, cool, that checks. You know, that's on brand for Rainier. And then a year or two later, Rainier let us know that he was non-binary and wanted to go by they, them pronouns. And we said, okay. And it was great because my older daughter, Kaylin, was seeing someone who was non-binary. And once Rainier had heard that term and got that vocabulary, education's important folks. Um, 
it was like, oh, that fits. That feels good. And so Rainier identified as non-binary for a while and then realized that didn't 100% fit either. And, you know, this is a transition for a lot of people to discover who they are. Nobody, I feel like, knows who their 100% person is at 13, 14. At 48, I still don't know 100% what person I am. So, well, you're years. you're a year late because I'm only 47 <laughs> and I have this down pat. So if I you would like me <laughs> to make yeah, some notes for you. I look, at, I look at you as my guiding light of having everything together always. That scares um, me for you. That, like nobody <laughs> should look to me as their guiding light. <laughs> uh, so a couple of years ago, Rainier came to us and said, no, actually, I'm a boy. And we said, Cool. All right. And at that point, we had already connected with the trans clinic here in St. Louis, which is I cannot tell you how excited and lucky and blessed I feel that we are to have this amazing resource here in St. Louis through WashU, through Children's Hospital. It's just amazing. So, you know, we went and talked to them. So this has been this kind of transition. And I know, again, this is our story. Some people, it happens differently. But for us, it was this very mild transition. And, you know, one of the things that Counselor Rainier works with you know, asked and also the medical team, because this is a whole team effort to support the child. Um, were you all surprised? And Blaine and I both said, no, this isn't a surprise. It's not necessarily something we knew was going on. But when it happened, it was like, no, this makes sense. And with every revelation, Rainier, we could see feeling more confident and more in his own skin. And so also it was comforting when he came out because it was like, oh, he has discovered this new piece of himself and how exciting. And the fact that we are a family that he felt comfortable enough sharing this, like, felt kind of like a privilege. Like, that was really great that he felt confident enough in his, you know, our love for him, his trust in us to be able to you know, share this information. So for us, you know, I'm not going to say there weren't hiccups and bumps along the way. And I've made mistakes and changing pronouns, you know, has created some challenges just in rewiring my brain to say a different word. Um, you know, and lots of apologies with that along the way as I'm, I'm perfecting that and doing better. You know, it's, it's been good. It's actually brought us together in really important ways, I think. So I really want to go back to something you said, because I think this is really important. Well, everything you said is really important. And I love this story of love and acceptance. But when you mention your oldest child being in a relationship with somebody who is non-binary, and that this knowledge, these, these words helped your son to put pieces together about himself, I love that what you didn't say is meeting somebody who is non-binary made your child non-binary, right? Because I think there's this other myth of if we acknowledge this, if we talk about it, that that's what quote unquote makes kids decide they're gay or decide they're trans. But I love the fact that you made it very clear that what happened was you have to have the words and the understanding and the knowledge to sometimes go, oh, this is what I'm feeling. Am I, am I, Am I on track? Here? Yeah, you're absolutely on track. And that's what, you know, I think that that's a very dangerous and a very damaging myth because it's not only perpetuating that, you know, this other myth that like, oh, 
this agenda and, you know, the LGBTQ community is preying on the youth. It's, it perpetuates that, but it also perpetuates that our children aren't smart enough to know who they are. And that's damaging to, you know, individuals as well. But just like anything in our lives, if you don't have the education, if you don't have the vocabulary, it's hard to name. And I know that in your podcast, you've talked about this a lot. Representation matters because representation and seeing something and connecting to people gives you the vocabulary, gives you the knowledge, gives you the ability to process these things. And so, you know, a goal of our families for a long time, which is one of the reasons we paused and homeschooled our kids for a while, was we wanted them to have a very broad sense of the world so that they could find their places in it. And so to me, this was one of the resources Rainier had in his life that helped him find his place in the world, having access to people who were gay, having access to people who were, you know, non-binary, gave him examples and gave him ways to think about himself and evaluate who he was and find who he was. Just like, you know, anything else in school, seeing different people in activities being like, oh, that looks interesting. That's, I think, is part of me. I'm going to try that, you know, this type of thing. So if more kids are coming out and, you know, it's the, well, you're making them gay. No, maybe we're just empowering these children with examples to find themselves and spaces to make them feel more comfortable to say something about it. You know, that's kind of how I see this all working. And I love how you brought in representation matters. And I think that we see this in a lot of school districts right now where some parents are terrified of mm-hmm. inclusive representation. And I think part of that comes from this myth that LGBTQIA folk are immoral and promiscuous by nature, that it would be dangerous to expose children to drag queens, to people who identify differently than maybe what this family has ever seen or experienced before. Now, you know that I have (laughs) close friends and and family members who are, are, you know, very much this applies to so I know the answer to, you know, <laughs> yeah, but, it just, to I, but, me, but to lead into so the question, but yeah, yeah, because here's the thing. I'm not going to name any names, right? But like I've lived, I've lived a day or two on this world. Mm-hmm. I think I just admitted it was 47 years. Come on, folks. I know a lot of straight people that are immoral and promiscuous. Right. And that's what I think. It's like why it, and it also, what I don't like about that, the thing that kind of starts to get my ire up about that whole myth is it turns our children into these weird sexual creatures. Like, why are we so focused on that like that's weird it is weird it's weird and like gender and i think that that's the teasing apart too of a gender identity has nothing to do with sex you know a gender identity is something fully separate than that and then somebody's sexual preference you know doesn't matter what your sexual preference is it doesn't mean that you're going, you know, if a heterosexual person, it's like, oh, so I guess since you're a male, you're having sex with every single female you see. Like, that's ridiculous. We are, oh, you're a female. And I just, I don't understand why all of a sudden, like, it doesn't translate. I don't know. That one is very, I know that that exists. It also is extremely confusing to me. So why do we not think that putting a t-shirt on a young child identified female at birth that says lock up the boys 
why do we consider that cute and not hypersexualized? But yet a child who is clearly has a, a gender identity other than what was assigned at birth, suddenly we sexualize it? Right. But that's what I'm saying. I think that we, you know, with things like that, well, think about even kids being like, oh, do you have any boyfriends? Like, this is a funny tease thing we say to like children that start kindergarten. Like, it's just in general weird how people equate children and sex and sexuality. Like, I just, it's odd. And going back to your example, there is a great show that's not for everybody, not for children, but addresses exactly what you just said, where somebody, you know, there's a little girl and being like, oh, you know, all the, our boy, he's going to be a lady killer. And then she says something very kind of outrageous about the little girl and is like, oh, what? So I'm the bad person. Um, because I, you know, brought this up that this was weird. Like, and, and I think same thing with this. Like, why are you so concerned about who's kissing who? And who's interested in who? It's just, to me, the, you know, everybody has different attractions in various places in their life. Sexual attraction is only one of them, number one. And it's not like we're all acting on this 24 hours a day. Like, it's just very strange. You're not? Am I doing this wrong? (laughs) (laughs) Anybody who knows me is rolling their eyes right now. But, you know, it's just very strange to me that that's such a focus of this. It is. So keeping along this vein, I'm going to, I'm, and again, I know the answer to this question, right? Mm Mm-hmm. But being this family who is so accepting and loving, and this really does, the way you describe it, this is just such a beautiful, organic transition. But so going along with these myths and these ideas and thoughts and and what kind of society sees or this image we see of of Mm -hmm. what this is in society, you must not have any relationship with God or the church. You must be just completely, (laughs) (laughs) you must just be a complete pariah, right? Like... You've been oh, kicked yeah. out of your church, right? Yeah, you have absolutely. been shunned. 100%. By... So they the reason we're laughing is... In our church. Yeah, the reason we're <laughs> laughing, we go to church together. <laughs> yeah. No, and I mean, I have to tell you, you know, that's been one of the biggest supports. That's been one of the safest places for both of my kids. Wait, into you're the saying fact... there can be religion and religious <laughs> leaders and people that accept right? your child as as God created this child? What? Right, open arms and love, and and my children have invited their friends that don't find that in their religious place. Because again, you know, you look for safe places for your kids. All parents do this. Period. All parents are looking for safe places for their kids. And I feel like people very misguidedly—that's how some of these myths come about—is people are looking for a safe place for their kids. And obviously, if we're open about gay rights and trans issues, it's all of a sudden not a safe place for their kid who's not in that category. Or they don't Um, know. Right. Because again, I feel like it's that you're not fully informed. You don't maybe fully understand. And so I think that that's why podcasts like this are really important to try to add to that conversation and that understanding. But one of the safe places we have found was the church. And I'm not going to lie, there have been some rocky 
years at the church as people are grappling with this, which again is okay. This doesn't have to always be easy, but you have to stay engaged. And I think that that's what our church chose to do. And a welcome statement was voted on a couple years back that explicitly stated that all are welcome and went through and explicitly stated who those all are. Because just because something says all doesn't necessarily mean all. And so this statement called out married people, not married people, divorced people, single people with kids, um, and, you know, immigrants. It called out LGBTQ folks um, being welcome to the point that, you know, Rainier is fantastic with children. He loves children. He always has. And he has been hired Um, by the church and asked to come. And he is one of the nursery workers there. So not only has he been accepted in our church, but he's in charge of caring for the smallest, you know, cutest little members. Um, When Vacation Bible School came around, he was called to come and see if he would take care of the little preschoolers because he's really good with little kids. Um, And what's great, which I love about little kids is they'll ask, are you a boy? Are you a girl? I mean, they will just straight out ask. And he said, you know, and he'll tell them, nope, I'm a boy. And they're like, okay. And then they go on about their lives. <laughs> Aren't so, children precious? And then we mess it all up with what, what we teach. Yeah. But I love it because they just will straight up ask because they look at him and they might feel confused for a minute. And it's so cute because he'll use the name Rex um, is one of his nicknames that he uses. And then when he's working with the little kids, he uses that because he feels like it's easier than Rainier. So, you know, all the kids there know him as Rex and love him. And so, yeah, I mean, it's so what and it's kind of a difference. What kind of a difference has this made to your son and to your family to have a truly accepting, safe space like the church home and church family. How do you think this would be different if you didn't have that kind of love and support saying, yes, you belong? I think it would be the thought that we have one more door closed to us because sometimes it feels like there's lots of doors closed to us. And so, you know, the fact that our immediate family, okay, safe space, awesome. I know my kids are okay there. I am super lucky that my children went to a high school where there is a lot of support and it is the culture of the teachers that the administration has set that you will accept and be kind to all of our children. And, you know, to the point that Rainier on his records, it just has his chosen name. His legal name is only able to be seen by four people in the entire district, and he is listed as male. And again, only four people see the um, gender he was assigned at birth. That's it. So, you know, safe place. And then going to the church, again, just have one more safe place because I have to tell you, my children are not into religion right now. You know, the, the teachings of the church really hold no weight in this moment for my children, which is fine but they still know it's a place they're welcome. It's still a place where adults um, will call them and just check in if they haven't seen them in a while. Again, not to try to pressure them to come back. And again, this is why I belong to the space I belong to, but just because genuinely as humans, they are concerned about them. And so every time that they get hate toward them, they can lean on, okay, but I have the immediate family. I have my extended family. I have my church family. I, you know, they can find these other places where they do have acceptance to try to heal some of that, you know, 
hate that comes toward them from time to time. Um, or those times that, you know, Rainier is misgendered and it just, it hurts, you know, it is hurtful when he gets misgendered and it happened in an interview um, and he corrected and corrected and it still happened and it just broke my heart. I mean, it absolutely Mm. broke my heart and it was so upsetting. And luckily though, he has a workspace now that is fully affirming and, you know, So these safe spaces, it means a lot because you can read and look anywhere. The self-harm rate, the suicide rate, the depression, the anxiety rate, all of those are just through the roof for our trans kiddos. And so we need to create as many safe havens as possible to try to counteract, you know, those other spaces that aren't safe. And I think that's such an important message for the people who are parenting cisgender heteronormative kiddos who maybe don't think about these things and have wondered what's the passion behind this fight for Mm -hmm. affirming in schools that are uncomfortable with this. I think this is such an important message for those parents to understand. It is, to my memory and knowledge, it is LGBTQ youth are four times more likely to attempt yeah. suicide and trans youth have a 50% chance of say, seriously considering or attempting it's suicide. It's higher even for trans youth. Yep. Correct. Yep. And, you know, I, I think that's important to think of. And I also, as um, an educator, I do have my master's in teaching. I've taught for 20 years now. I can tell you, you know, we know that kids who are underfed, they can't learn. We know that kids who are in unsafe places don't get good sleep and then come into school. We know they can't learn. Um, We know kids with different disabilities need help and assistance, but kids who don't feel safe in that environment aren't going to learn. So if we are trying to, as a society, create whole humans that can then go on and lead productive lives and learn and excel, we have to to make the school a safe place for them. Because if you don't feel safe, if you are spending your entire brain power and emotional power trying to make sure you're safe and everything's okay, you're not going to be learning anything. I mean, you can't. Your brain cannot process those two things at the same time. That makes so much sense. Mm -hmm. I mean, that really does. That makes so much sense to me. And again, just what an important message to share and to get out there. For the, for the people who are just like, I don't know, this seems weird. This doesn't feel comfortable to me. Okay, well, you know what? We, we teach this all the time when it comes to issues of race. Your, mm-hmm. dis, your discomfort is not more important than another person's safety and right to exist. Exactly. And it's not, you know, with our kiddos. And it's the same with, you know, the tone on equity around racial issues or you know, if you have misogyny running rampant, you know, whoever it is that's not feeling safe, now they can't learn. And now, you know, what's the whole purpose of school? The whole purpose of school is to teach children. Well, they can't learn. You can't teach them if they're feeling unsafe. And so it's important for, it's important, you know, for people to be seen. And again, that representation in the curriculum helps others feel more comfortable asking questions, getting information, understanding, you know, what those pieces are. And so, yeah, I I think our trans kiddos need to be looped into that, into that circle of people that need to be considered and considered whole humans 
and, you know, not the I love you in spite of, but I love you because you know who you are and this is a great part of who you are. And that needs to be, that needs to be in schools, the representation and the teaching about it and the discussing it and the being able to ask questions about it. You know, you, a lot of times we're afraid of things we don't know. And so the more you know about it, the more you can ask questions that help build on that knowledge base to where you can feel comfortable. Because really, that's what I think a lot of this anger comes from is fear and discomfort. And if we could just have better conversations and more open conversations, maybe some of that discomfort would go away. Maybe that knowledge base would increase. And then we wouldn't have some of these issues that we're dealing with. It's almost like that's why we created this podcast you're on right now. You guys are freaking geniuses. (laughs) Well, I mean, say it a little louder. I don't know if they heard you. Geniuses. (laughs) (laughs) And I think it's important to note that not every child has a family like yours or a church base like yours. No, it's very true. Right. Those suicide rates we talked about. Think about the kiddos that do not have any support at home. They don't have never seen representation. They just, something's wrong. And so that's the other reason why it's important to have that that visibility, that representation in schools, because that may be one of the only times they have exposure to the message that you, you are okay. You are, you are, you are okay. You are right. You are good. And I know as a teacher, I have had students like that, that I made sure each day, even if I didn't have them in class that day, that I went and found them and reminded them how awesome they were so that they heard that from an adult at some point. Um, it's why our house has always been a safe house that children gather because they can fully be their full selves here where they might not be able to be at their house. And, you know, our doors have always been open and it's, you know, I have attempted to make that space here as well. Okay. I'm going to ask a bit more of a personal question because this taps into another pervasive myth that I've heard and seen, you know, delightful social media. Don't mm-hmm. ever go to the comment section. <laughs> right? Oh my God. I never read comments ever. It's so bad. Don't, so bad. don't. But this is something I've seen over and over. So only share as much information as you're comfortable with. Cause I'm flying a little close to the sun here. Okay. Yes. Yes. One of the comments I've seen and concerns from people who just don't have any knowledge or understanding is this idea that it is really easy and common for parents to just go get a, and this is in quotes, I'm saying this in quotes, right? A sex change for their child. Can you shed a little bit of light on this myth and why it just isn't true? Yeah. First of all, again, I, man, the focus on genitalia is weird to me. Um, (laughs) It just is like, let's all calm down, please. Um, So no, even to get, so one of the first diagnoses, and I'm using that in quotes because I hope one day it's not a diagnosis, but it is at the moment, is gender dysphoria. And I can tell you, you, the words, and I don't know, I'm trying to think of you use this on the podcast before, the, it has to be persist, oh, now you have to, persistent and consistent. So to be labeled as gender dysphoric, which means you are not 
aligned with the gender you were assigned with at birth. It has to be consistent, which is the child is saying the same thing all the time. And it has to be persistent, which means it has to go on for quite a long time. So to get that diagnosis, generally, we're talking about seeing a counselor for a couple years, you know, six to 12 months, at the very least, um, to even have that. And then once you get that diagnosis, um, and you know, the counseling part, I'm not opposed to because there's a lot going on for these kiddos. And so while it bugs me a little that this is a DSM-5 diagnosis as if there's something wrong, um, I like the counseling part because I think that's important. However, I also know how privileged I am to have access to that money-wise, Mm-hmm. location wise, you know what I'm saying? So there are a lot of people that that for a variety of reasons, that's not accessible. Um, so that is, that is problematic. Okay. Um, so number one, problematic, you can't just go get a change unless you have access to the care and help for this. Number two, once you get this to start hormone therapy, which again, luckily my son is able to have access to, which has been amazing and wonderful. Again, now we have a whole medical team involved. So not only the counseling team that has to write a letter saying this needs to happen. Now we have a whole medical team involved. And depending on your child's health, their routine blood tests, um, lots of visits. Again, we have access to a clinic here. Some people have to drive hours, go to a different state. Privilege, again, money and time to do these things. Um to get the hormone therapy. Okay. So that's how easy that is so far. And then beyond hormone therapies to be able to have any kind of physical surgeries, you have to be 18. And so I know my son is desperate to get and really wanting to get a top surgery, which would be the removal of the tissue of his chest. Um, because that's really hard. It's hard to be a male and you also have to deal with um, binders or different ways to make yourself feel like you're presenting and you're, the image you see in the mirror is male and is going with your, you know, what you know you are. Um, and you have to be 18. Now, there are exceptions they will make. And unfortunately, these exceptions have to be made because... They're for children who have self-harmed in a way that they feel like the psychological repercussions of not having the surgery um, are going to be significant enough that they have to move forward with it. Otherwise, you have to wait till you're 18. Not all people have surgeries either. Some people will have you know, partial surgeries, like maybe top surgery, but not bottom surgery to where they're, you know, changing the genitalia. Um, And again, people choose to have surgeries or not have surgeries for a variety of reasons. Sometimes because these are not easy surgeries at all. They're expensive. They can be dangerous. There could be health issues, insurance issues. There could be just personal choice issues because what you do or do not possess, um, in private areas has nothing to do with the gender you are. It just doesn't. I know that that's how we've been programmed and that's what we've thought this whole time, but it's just not true. You can be a male that has a vagina and 
you know, more breast tissue. You can be a female and have, you know, a penis. It's, it, these things coexist. And I think there's just a shift that needs to happen in our thinking about what gender is and what it means. And people, I feel like, get very up in arms about this. But if you look not far into our past, if you look at many other cultures, this is not a new thing. This is absolutely not new at all. Oh, blasphemy. You're lying now. (laughs) You know, (laughs) what? How how dare you challenge our puritanical (laughs) visions of extreme binaries? Yeah, but that's the other thing down in the the puritanical, even going back then, this was more accepted in that point in time. Like the fact that uh, bodily parts and gender are so strongly aligned is actually super modern concepts. And so again, it's that education piece that we created this and we created this recently. And again, calm down. We all need to calm down. And I think we'd be a lot better off. So what I'm hearing is that it would be extremely rare too entirely impossible for a six-year-old to come home on a Friday and say, I'm not a boy, I'm a girl. And then by Monday, there has been a quote unquote, full medical sex change. Is, is that what you're telling me? This is what I'm telling you. I'm telling you, even if you have an 18-year-old who can fully sign for themselves, has parent support and consent, and has money, and has insurance, and has full access to all the things, we are still talking a year's journey to even get there. Yeah. So it's maybe unfounded this fear of these rash decisions and mutilation of children's bodies for this agenda. Is is that the conclusion we're going to draw? This is the conclusion. It is a concerted, very large team, very significant effort um, to get this done. And again, it is a privilege to be able to get it done, a privilege of time and money and space that so many people don't have access to, which breaks my heart because while some people don't choose to do things, there are people that I know that would very much like access to this that don't have it. So the thought that people can just like willy nilly run around and get this is just, again, I'm going to use the word again, so strange and bizarre to me. Like, I don't know where and how that information came about. Or that it has created fear. Right. Well, and again, I think fear always goes back to, I'm trying to protect my kid, right? Fear doesn't come from, uh, I'm going to try to be a horrible human being. And so I am going to do these things. And, you know, Fear is very powerful. And if we hear something that sounds like truth, that backs up what we're already afraid of, it's very easy to hold on to that piece of information and use it to feed our fear. And I think that that's what's happening a lot. People are afraid of, if my child's gay, what does that mean for my family, for my you know, religious life, for my community life, for my child's life. Um, So I'm going to make sure that doesn't happen. How do I make sure that doesn't happen? Well, if they never know about it, if they never see about it, you know what I mean? It's I think it's just that it comes down to the fear of wanting to protect our kids, but then it comes out in very dysfunctional ways that aren't actually protecting their kid, number one, and are harming a lot of other kids, number two. 
And again, this reminds me of conversations we've had on the, this podcast about race. And, mm-hmm. and it all ties back into why representation matters. Because right. a lot of that fear comes from the place that the only representation for so long when it came to LGBTQIA plus folks is this idea of promiscuity, of drug use, of suicide, of rejection by society. They'll never have a, a significant other a spouse. They'll never have a job that, you know. And I've talked about this in a previous episode. I remember earlier in life, I think it may have been even in college, I was given some kind of propaganda from a church that listed the statistics of these very scary things like homelessness, drug abuse, sex work of people who were gay. And and they were trying to say that because you're gay, it causes this. Well, what we know is it's the opposite. It's because you've been rejected by your parents, exactly. you know, right? Like your safe house, your safe space, because you've been rejected, you've been kicked because out. Because you've been kicked out at 16, you have nowhere to go. You get preyed upon by people. The only work you can get perhaps is being trafficked or maybe even consensually you're doing it because you have no other way to pay for yourself. Because you're um, hungry. Exactly. Exactly. Well, and I think too, you know, very well-meaning, a very well-meaning family member of mine brought to me the one time, did I think it was because my children had been sexually abused that this was happening because they had seen from a resource of theirs that that was a statistic. Most people who are gay have been sexually abused and that is why they are gay. Now, one in four women, unfortunately, have been sexually abused or raped. So I don't know that that's, they're correlated, but they like skewed these things to make it look as if one caused the other versus unfortunately, again, because of this hypersexualization and weirdness in our world, that's unfortunately just a statistic that goes for females in general in this country. You know what I mean? But they had used that and it was from a source that they trusted. And so, you know, it was one of those, finally, you know, I asked, well, where did you hear that? Well, what was the intent of the person saying that? Okay, well, let's look at some other statistics. So again, I think that whenever you feel scared about something, you tend to, okay, it's kind of like the book, The Secret. You know what I mean? Like you bring things into your life by thinking about them. Um, if you think about red cars, you see more red cars, right? If it's my true. husband, you know what I mean? That type of thing. And again, I'm not saying that that doesn't work for manifesting good things in your life, not trying to dissuade that. But what I'm saying is if you are a person that is fearful and thinks this is what will cause gayness, you are going to gravitate to those sources that confirm that. Um, And it becomes easier to build that narrative and those synapses get deeper and deeper that, you know, like this creates this and it just becomes more and more truth to you. And so that's why, you know, finding credible sources um, and this goes exactly for race, too. And when I, you know, studied curriculum and how things like this were used in curriculum and trying to make equitable, you know, resources in schools, it was always Who's giving this information? And then the most important question was, and what is their intent? What is the purpose for this information? So unfortunately, sometimes the information we get about the LGBTQ community is to create and instill more fear. That's the purpose for it. And it does a really good job. Um, And that's why I think it's important to really look at 
who is giving this information and why? You know, is this from a medical institution? Is this from a study? Or is this from maybe part of a community that is trying to get you to be more fearful? You know, where does the information come from? And I think that's important with whatever community we're talking about, whether this be racial disparity, socioeconomic disparity, um, gender disparity, or LGBTQ community, who is giving the information and what is their purpose? And it needs to be the question when you're evaluating these things. Because clearly it sounds like the person giving that information to you, their purpose was to create more fear. Yes, absolutely. You're right. And at that point in my life, I had already had enough experiences and friends and representation of the LGBTQIA plus community that I was able to discern that. But that's that's a worry for people who who hadn't had those experiences, who are given this propaganda. That is scary. That is very scary. It is. And again, say it with me. Representation matters if you don't have. Like, could we make it into a song? Representation matters. Exactly. <laughs> if, you don't have, if you don't have other representations to put alongside what you're getting, then that is the representation. So when I, again, when I was looking at books, if the only representation of a certain, you know, group of people was, oh, they're downtrodden and, you know, it's so horrible and they just can't get on. Then it's like, oh, poor people versus, ooh, look at all these wonderful things that this community has provided for us. But on the other hand, if it's the whole, look at this person out of adversity did da 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 da, then it's a, well, why can't everybody else do that? You know what I mean? This is why we need broad narratives. We need lots of experience. We need to try to expose ourselves to as much as possible to round out our worldview so that we have a better understanding of what in the world is going on with us. This world is complicated and we need lots of info to navigate it. The world is complicated and humans are complicated. And yep. we just have this desire, I think, to simplify the human experience. And that helps no one when we yeah. oversimplify it. So in the sake of what we've been talking about here, before we conclude this and finish up, tell us a little bit about your son. Tell us, I know how amazing this human is. Sh share anything you feel comfortable sharing. Like this is a very creative, beautiful soul. Like th this is not this picture of fear and anxiety and transgender, right? Like Rainier is such a beautiful human. Yes. Thank you for that opportunity. Okay. So Rainier, like I said, is um, a junior right now. And he has been kind of thinking about what he wants to do because college just doesn't feel like the path for him, which is great. Um, you know, it's not for everybody. And I appreciate that even though he is at a school that is super super focused on every single kid going to college. He knows that that's just not his path. So I think that's part of what's really cool about him is he really will take what he's being told with things like that, come back, discuss it with my husband and I and us saying, you know, follow your own path. And I think that that's something he's been doing for a long time. Um, and he wants to work as a Montessori teacher in children's house, which is for the littles, which I think would be wonderful. He had gone to a Montessori school and just loves how it's just a very 
natural way of learning and teaching and just fit with him so well. I think the other thing he really appreciated about it was the fact that like there was a bathroom there because kids go to the bathroom and it wasn't a girl's bathroom, boy's bathroom. Um, All the kids played together because kids played together. It wasn't, okay, girls are going to do this. Boys are going to do this. Um, He had a friend who was a boy that spent the night up through fifth grade. And it was totally normal for girls and boys because they're friends. So I think it was funny thinking about the fact that we were putting him in this very educational system that was so equitable and just saw everybody as these are children learning and they do things together. I think that that might have kind of helped, you know, create those ideas for him too. And so he's wanting to do that. He is an organizational guru. He goes to my mom's house and organizes. He nannies for one of my friends and they come home and their whole house is reorganized. And so that's just kind of one of his funny things he likes to do, which makes sense because when we would go to the magic house when he was little, he would go into, you know, the area of the magic house. If anybody has been there, it's this cool children's museum in St. Louis. And there's like a grocery store area and a nursery area and a library area and these little things that they can pretend to be in different towns. And he would spend the whole time like organizing it and putting everything back together. <laughs> they probably loved him. He should have been on the payroll. <laughs> that was so and so like he would do that and then he would play with it but it's like he could not even engage with it until it was organized so you know this is just another part of his quirky self is you know the fact that and that's again why I think this hasn't been a surprise that he is just his very own kind of person because he's always been his very own kind of person and he's very creative and he's very empathetic sometimes. And I'm not going to use the word to a fault. I need to, I need to fight like in a very deep way to where other people's emotions can affect him greatly. And so that's why I think when he is misgendered or when something like that comes up, it hurts him deeply because he's a very deeply deep feeling kid. And, you know, when it comes down to it, he just wants to be accepted for who he is because he's this great person. So it's like, why shouldn't he be accepted for who he is? And so I think that that's what you know, Blaine and I are trying to do for him. I appreciate his, my greater family that is really behind him. And not just mine, my husband, you know, our whole family. We have friends like you. We have, you know, a friend group who's very supportive and loving and the fact that he has church. And then at school, he has teachers and admin and friends and stuff that are behind him. So, you know, when I say, you know, they always say it takes a village to raise a child, which is true in any case. But then when you have a child that maybe is experiencing the world in a way that feels or looks or maybe might be a little different, it just takes more people. (laughs) It takes more resources. And we are very lucky to have that because, again, this is not the position all people find themselves in. So I feel exceptionally lucky um, to be in that position with my kids. And, you know, listening to you talk and about your family and your experience, I was really tempted to say how lucky Rainier is to have you. But I have to say I've known Rainier for a very long time, like since before Rainier existed. <laughs> I know. I was since he was in my belly. And the truth is, we are all so lucky to have Rainier in our lives. It is 100% true. He he adds a lot to our world. And so I'm happy for him to 
be here and continue to be who he is because it adds, it doesn't detract, it adds to our world for him to be authentically who he is. Absolutely. So, Laura, yes. how was it today being here with me? This was on lovely. The podcast? This was like one of our coffee chats, but on a podcast. Well, I'm going to go ahead and tell a secret. And then if you want me to edit it out, I will. <laughs> this is not at all like one of our coffee chats because you and I both cuss <laughs> like sailors. <laughs> It was like a PG version of one of our coffee chats. I'm, I'm very proud of us. I did. I told you I could do it. I, I, you know what? Gold star. Gold star for today. Thank you. Thank you. I put on my teacher voice and I put on my like, you know, teacher hat. It's fine. I got this. I'm, I'm proud. And honestly, I am. This was fabulous. You are fabulous. Thank you for coming. This is the kind of conversations we want to bring to people. Part of the reason we started this whole podcast is because of the fact that too many people do not have the type of friendships or the exposure to have these conversations in their own living rooms on their own time and or are uncomfortable or scared to ask questions. And so being able to bring this conversation to others, I thank you. I thank you for your candor and your willingness. I thank Rainier, who absolutely gave his blessing for this to happen. We did nothing behind his back. No, um, yeah. he And just so, yeah, everybody knows, I think that consent is everything in all ways. And this is one of them. Yeah, Rene- uh, Delaney and I both had a conversation with Rainier yesterday. And yes, thank you for mentioning that. He fully knows this is happening and is very excited and open to it. So just, you know, thanks to both of you. Thank you for being here. Shoot, you were too good. I think actually I'm just going to hand over my microphone. You can have my job. Heather will be like, who am I talking to today? (laughs) No, I was so, like, truly, I mean this word in all the... All the ways it means. I was so honored when you asked me. I think this podcast is amazing. And I think it's giving so much good information and in a way that people can really listen to because these are hard conversations to have. And sometimes they're hard truths to hear. Just genuinely, they can be because sometimes it really makes you have to stop and rethink things you've been thinking all along. I know I'm speaking for myself, at least there. Um, It can be hard, but that's okay. We can do hard things. And um, so, yeah, I was so honored and delighted to be here. Thank you so much. Thank you. I love you. Anyone who's listening, if you would like to further this conversation, you can find us on Facebook. You, we, uh, you've got our email. Um, we give that out all the time at the end of every podcast. Please just send us an email. Ask your questions. If we get enough questions, would you come back sometime, Laura? 100%. And Yay! if any questions are specific to me, please let me know. I'm more than happy to have conversations. Absolutely. Absolutely. Love you. Love you. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. You can email us at listenlearnlove at inpurposeea.com. Find us on Facebook at Listen Learn Love Podcast. And please consider supporting us through Patreon at patreon.com backslash listenlearnlove. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at inpurposees or on Twitter at inpurposeea. Hey, we'll see you next week.